All right, y'all. Welcome, welcome. Good evening, you're truly Dr. Barry Pierre, bringing you a special edition of our Real Physician React series. This is our live series we do every Thursday evenings, going live on TikTok. So if you're listening to the podcast episode or watching the YouTube replay, you should know that you should be on TikTok to catch this live to join the chat, right? So I suggest you do that like ASAP again, Thursday evening, 9 p.m. Obviously, this is a special one, especially if you're watching this, because as you see, I'm in my work clothes. I am on nights this week, and typically when I'm on nights, it can get a little hectic. But I do always, again, because I like to keep my promise, I try to squeeze this thing in regardless, right? So now, I typically have a list of topics that I like, all right, what am I going to speak about today? And unfortunately, the Supreme Court dropped this bombshell, if you can read the title, right into my lap. And you may be thinking, all right, Dr. Barry, like, how does this tie into healthcare? Like, why are you even speaking on the Supreme Court and college admissions? And why is it important as a physician? And obviously, being a black physician, why should that be important? And I'm going to tell you, right? Because I got a, I have a lot of things to say. Now, mind you, one thing my parents always told me, right? If you do not have nothing nice to say, try to keep it to yourself. Try to keep it to yourself. And trust me, I did that. I did that. I just, I just threw a, I think it was even, I didn't even, I didn't even, I don't think I posted my Twitter. It was like an Instagram story. I said, Hey, since the Supreme court got so much time, right. To be worried about college admissions, maybe they should also look at nepotism and how that affects college admissions. Like if they really want to turn some things up, instead of going after affirmative action, right. To get this hoopla that you got, you should, Start looking at nepotism. And those who may not know how nepotism works, it's hey, my granddad, my grandma, my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, uh, someone I know, right? Like has some pool here. And even though I don't have the numbers, the test scores, grades, everything to be in this position here, in this school here, but because I know the right people was causing people not to get into Harvard and Columbia and Penn and all of that. No, like we hope that's not the case. But we we know what the smoke screen is with this fight here, right? So for those who may not know, Supreme Court said, hey, you know what? Harvard and what was it? Uh, UNC, your policies for admissions are unlawful, unjustified, and we're striking it, which is essentially, which essentially is the fight against affirmative action saying, hey, if Harvard and UNC can't use race-based factors in their decisions on who should they take in their school, we don't want no other schools to do it, right? So that's the trickle-down effect that we see. And of course, again, if you're on social media, you already watch the news, you see there's a lot of news, a lot of fanfare from it, right? Interesting enough, there's people who I didn't expect to, you know, say something, um, against the Supreme Court's decision that actually says something to it. I'm not, I ain't going to give enough no shine, but like I was just shocked to see like, oh, that's interesting that you actually said something up for it. Now, of course, me being a black physician, I recognize wholeheartedly that there are probably people even year 2023 who think that somehow, some way, like the position I'm in was from a front of action, whether it's in undergrad, whether it was in medical school, whether it was in residency, somehow, some way, I'm I know there's someone out there in the USFA who think that the reason why I got in my position was from a fraction. I understand that. Whatever, right? Nothing I can do about that. So I think we have to talk about the importance of just affirmative action and more importantly, like how does it affect healthcare? Because again, I am a physician, right? So you may be thinking, man, like, yeah, like we're just talking about, you know, Harvard and UNC, like, like how is this going to actually trickle down to the healthcare that we see today? And right, and why is it important? Why was it, I guess, especially because they struck it down, why was it important in our our history of getting healthy, getting healthier in this country, especially as a minority, right? So I want to talk about a couple of things, right? A couple of points, and then we'll be going into the comments and answering questions and, and fielding questions as we can, right? So when we talk about whether what are some of the consequences for a decision like this, right? And again, not necessarily immediate, but definitely down the line. What are some of the consequences for this decision? 
you're going to ultimately continue, and I want to stress this, continue to see less diversity amongst your healthcare professionals. Like that's going to happen. Because remember, for me to get right here, right, for me to get right here to be talking to you guys, you know, while sitting, you know, in this uh, call room, I had to get accepted to undergrad, get accepted to medical school, and then get accepted to a residency and then obviously pass all of the things I needed to pass that. Like, so there was a couple of steps I had to get through and I wish, right. I wish I could say, Oh yeah, no way in hell that they use race as a factor, but I don't know. I don't know. In fact, I'm going to tell uh, my, my story of how I even got to medical school. Right. And then you can kind of figure out like who is, you know, like, how did I get here, right? In, in fact, when I think about my story, I feel like nepotism, right, or just being a legacy kind of assisted in that, right? So let's let's talk about just my story. So I am an undergrad student at Florida State. Again, I already got to Florida State, so I ain't no no one at Florida State, so you really can't get me there. I don't know one at Florida State, but I'm a third year uh, junior. I'm a junior. I'm a junior at Florida State. Say I want to go to medical school. I pass by this building because I got a floor stay in Tallahassee and it just says FOMA on it, Florida Osteopathic Medical Association. I don't know what that is. So I figure, all right, I don't know what FOMA is. I'm going to drive into the building. So I drive into the building. I, you know, I introduce myself to the secretary. I say, hey, you know, I'm a pre-med student. I'm interested in getting into medical school. Like, what do y'all do? Because again, I have no clue. I've never seen this acronym FOMA. And here comes this, you know, this tall, tall, like, you know, muscular guy. But and I didn't know who he was, right? But he was a physician. Right? Say, hey, you know what? I'm Dr. Thacker. I am the president of FOMA. At the time I didn't know he was the president, right? But I, again, it didn't really matter to me. And, you know, this is what I do. I explain to him, I kick it, you know, I'm I'm good with the gift of gab, right? We make a connection. And subsequently, uh, throughout my time at Florida State. Uh, Dr. Dacker would invite me to dinners. He would invite me to volunteer opportunities, healthcare opportunities, um, health fairs and whatnot. And when he, when I was asking, he was asking me, hey, where, where are you applying to? I'm like, oh, I'm applying to, you know, all of these Florida schools because I'm a Florida boy. I don't want to go out of Florida. Um, so I said, he said, and I said, you know, he said, like, oh, you should apply to Nova. And I was like, oh, what's what's Nova? He said, oh, that's, a, you know, I was medical school. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't think about, I didn't think nothing. I was sure I'll apply. Mind you, I applied to Nova. Let's say I applied to Nova, you know, on the 1st. By the 15th, I've already gotten a decision to say, hey, we want to interview you. All right. I'm like, cool. That's cool. Like, I had a couple of interviews. I'm like, all right, cool. I go down. I do an interview. I kill the interview, right? Because, again, that's what I do, right? And then, like, a week and a half later, boom, you're accepted, right? So, within three weeks of applying to the school, I was accepted into the school, and I ain't know nothing ever, right? I'm just happy. I'm excited. And then I start, you know, researching, right? Because, you know, I go to, you know, ask people like, hey, like, how'd you get here? I go to research and I find out not only is Dr. Dacker the president of FOMA, again, because I didn't know who he was at the time. He was an alumni at Nova South Eastern University. And he was like, again, a pre- I guess a pretty big wig just in the state of Florida. So here I was, this person who... I didn't, he didn't even write a letter of recommendation for me, right? Who just recommended, hey, go to apply here. I know some people. And three weeks later, I was accepted into school, right? This happens across the country, right? Where knowing who you needed to know makes your process a lot easier. So I got into medical school. Obviously, the rest is history. I'm here. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. A lot of people don't have the connections. So when you talk about this striking down of affirmative action, you are definitely, you are definitely going to see a decrease in just the number of physicians. And mind you, there are about 5.7% of all physicians in this country are black, right? 5.7%. That number is already trash. And that number is going to get worse. Because and again, it just, and it makes sense if you think about it, if the policies that help increase the enrollment in undergrads decreases, guess what? If I have less undergrads getting into school, then I'm going to have less undergrads who say, hey, I want to be a doctor, less undergrads who apply for medical school. This year, 
uh, was one of the worst years for black males actually even applying to medical school. That's a whole nother problem. So I have less people getting into undergrad, less people saying, I want to become a doctor, less people applying to medical school. So I'm going to have, at the end result, less physicians, less healthcare professionals. And we know that our community uh, does much better when taking care of someone from our community. And when I say our, it doesn't matter who the R is, right? If you are in a Hispanic community, you do much better when you're taken care of by Hispanic patients, right? Uh, Physicians, if you're in a Black community, you do much better when you're taken care of by Black physicians, right? So you're having this instance where our numbers are just going to continue to dwindle down and is eventually going to be a detriment to the communities that need to serve them, right? We have about 13% of Black people here in this country. Again, right now, the physician force only makes up 5.7%. That number is going to get worse. And you figure our percentage is going to get higher, right? So that's just going to be a mismatch problem uh, when we think about it. And because you have less people who look like me being in the healthcare position to take care of our people, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have more healthcare disparities, right? You're going to have more people who don't go to the doctor, more people who don't get their health checkups, more people who deal with um, uh, hypertension at a later age, cancer at a later age, diabetes at a later age, strokes, uh, like any medical disease you can think about, that's going to also worsen because the people who would be on this side here taking care of the community, there's going to be less of us to be there for it. Right. So it's just going to be, again, just a, a hamster wheel effect that will eventually hit healthcare, Right. Again. And again, this is not going to be a thing that happens tomorrow, but this is going to be something that is going to eventually trickle down and affect us more. Right. Oh, and I got my points here. Oh, this is a big one. Less representation, not only in medical research. Right. But in clinical trials. Right. Because you have, again, and again, just the bottleneck effect, less of us coming in, which means less of us going into working on the clinical trials, working on research, um, being active in promoting research, being active in saying, hey, this is what the research is saying. It's just going to be less of us. Right. Again, I am I am keenly aware, right, that just me being a black male in a physician puts me at a like a, a a different plane, right? Because there's not a lot of me's who do what I do, right? You know, talk, podcast. There's not a lot of me's to do that. So I stand out, uh, you know, pretty, again, there's not a lot of me's in general, right? And But then when you think about the me's who are on social media, who are doing educating our communities, it's just less and less and less, right? Like that's really uh, the problem at hand, right? So you're going to have less of us in these trials, leading these trials, promoting these trials. And because you have less of us at the top, guess what? You're going to have less of us continuing at the bottom. One thing about medical trials, and I have a public health degree, and one of the things we always tend to look at is just the participation of segment groups within clinical trials. Whether it's a trial for a new medication, uh, a new uh, prescription, a new therapy, when less of us, right, less black folks, less Hispanic folks, less whatever, right, are in the trials, guess what happens, right? You have a, an answer, right? You have, hey, at the end, I got this result, but I don't know if this result really applies to this specific community. So we tend to see that a lot where you may, have, let's say, m- drug A. Drug A works great for blood pressure and because that's what the trials tell it. Until you start giving drug A to this specific community here and you see, all right, it doesn't really work as well as we expected. So if it doesn't work as well as we expected, guess what happens, right? You start saying like, oh, like this medication has worked. They don't know what they're doing. But when you start backtracking, you see, well, probably the reason why it doesn't work is because when they started doing the trials, less of us was in there to test it out. So you just have this issue that, again, just kind of, and, and again, we, we dealt with it, especially with COVID, right? When we were talking about COVID, one of the, one of the bonuses, right? <laughs> I don't say bonus, but one of the benefits of COVID and a lot of the COVID trials is that we had significant participation 
in COVID trials, especially for the COVID vaccine, significant participation, much more than we've ever seen, right? Uh, because so many people are getting it, so many people are afraid. They're like, nah, I want to join the trial to get that medication. So we, our participation numbers were through the roof in regards to the COVID vaccine. It's the reason why the COVID vaccine worked so well, right, for all the communities, because guess what? We showed up. But now when the next blood pressure medication, the next diabetes medication, the next weight loss medication, the next cholesterol medication, the next cancer drug, when the next thing comes out, guess what? Because we all don't show out, right? Because we're not at the top, we're not represented, and we're not, and we don't have people like me in the field saying, hey, you should go and get this study. Guess what? It's going to be less and less of us going to it, right? So it's just going to begin just, just, just a, uh, just a, a tenfold, I don't want to say tenfold, but it's going to be just a, a numbers game, right? When you see just how detrimental it's going to be to our community. And uh, and I talked about I already talked about increased health disparities. Oh, and then just less cultural competency care, right? Like cultural competency is one of these things that it's like a buzzword, and we talk about it a lot during medical school um, for like a semester, right? Let's just say semester. All right, yes, we're gonna be culturally competent. Uh, and then what happens, right, is that you go through and then you go through the course, like all right, boom, thank you for. I'm culturally competent now until you have to go see patients. And then you realize what it truly means to be culturally competent, what it means to be respectful to your patients, what it means to be respectful to your patients' ideals, to your patients' uh, traditions. Like it's a whole different ballgame when you're reading it in a book. But when you have to actually have to put it into practice, it's a whole, it's, it's another ballgame. And those who come from the community that you come from, right, are able to recognize like, oh, hey, you know what? When they say the sugars, right, they mean diabetes, right? When, when they say this, oh, this is what they really mean. But if you don't come from that community, you're going to miss those, what it's going to seem like an obvious tale from the patient perspective, but you're going to miss that. And if you miss it, and guess what? Like, all right, we're not on the same page. Guess what? I got to go find me a new doctor, right? Because I don't know what you're talking about, right? And this happens, this happens every day. So you're just, again, there's just so many just, you know, problems that are going to continue to arise. Again, I'm not even, I'm not even, I, I don't say I'm not worried about the emissions perspective, right? Because a lot of the schools, right, kind of knew what time it was. And they were already tinkering with different ways to work on diversity. So this isn't going to be a like a damning effect, right, to the Harvards of the world, right, right? This is not going to be that, right? But it could be a problem to the regular undergrads of the world who used to use it to boost up their diversity, and now they got to think of something different. Because let me tell you, the real honest truth is, is that when it comes to when it comes to admissions, right? When it comes to uh, you know uh, undergrad, re medical school, residency. When it comes to that, a lot of people are very lazy, right? Those who are in the position of you know accepting new students are very lazy, right? They want to have a very cookie cutter approach to do it, right? They want to be able to say, oh, you have to have this test score. And this GPA, because they know if they do that, right, that's all they need to kind of weed out a lot of people, right? They don't have to actually read your personal statement. They don't actually have to have a good interview and know what the person is talking about because it doesn't matter to them because they're like, oh, I'll just like, let me just weed out a whole bunch of people who will probably be great fits for my school. But because I don't want to have to go through all of these applications, I need to find a way to sort it out, right? And, and that is what's going to be and especially now mind you <laughs> let me tell you folks have been especially I'll, and i'll just talk in the medical gme perspective graduate medical education uh folks have been using race-based related decisions on how to weed people out forever right like i was a program director um we had a lot of students match right uh into a residency program but to match into the residency program they had to get interviewed right they had to go through that whole process of the eras that whole ERAS system, if I want to, I can say, you know what? I only want to speak to white applicants from the state of Florida who have a board score of this, who have a GPA of that, right? I can do all of that, like, very easily, 
right? So it's always been there, the ability to kind of weed people out based on race, based on gender, based on, you know, what school they went to. That's not going to change. Like it's it's just going to be harder for those who are in these colleges to try to think of different ways to improve the lack of diversity that it is. Right. Because when, when we talk about affirmative action, we know that it just didn't, it didn't just come out of nowhere. Right. What happened was that, hey, you know what? We were having systemic processes to exclude us. Right. Especially black folks. We were having systemic processes to exclude black people out of the educational system. Right. So we couldn't have legacies. Right. We couldn't have multiple legacies at Harvard and Penn. We couldn't have it because guess what? They were doing their best. Right. Systemically to get them out of there. Right. They did it for so long that the government had to say, you know what? We have to make another systemic process to try to get people back in. Right. And people people are okay. Right. Especially those who are like jumping for joy that the affirmative action has been rejected. They're okay with all of the systemic racism that and and classism and, and uh, the gender that said, hey, you know what? I only want white men like going to these positions right here. They are 100% okay with that. They hate the fact that, hey, you know, we're trying to correct this thing. The best way we kind of know how to is kind of use it for action. They want no parts of the correction of the problem, right? Like say, I, I, I always equate it with like COVID, right? A lot of people, right, are okay with the COVID, Right, they hate the COVID vaccine. Right, they 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 hate the treatment of it, but they're okay with the effects of COVID. Right, same thing. They're okay with the effects of systemic racism for years, right, decades, right, decades, hundreds. You know, they're okay with that, but they're not okay with hey, you know, we got to try to correct this, like, and we let's let's do this thing called affirmative action to kind of correct it. That not which we all know. You just do a quick study. A quick Google search of who benefits from affirmative action. It's not even people of color, even though that was the goal. Not even people of color, it's white women, right? Why? Because not only was affirmative action extremely beneficial for people of color, but it was extremely beneficial for women, right? So once it was beneficial for the women, people were like, hey, you know what? If I got to choose, I'm gonna choose the white women, right? So that's what was happening. They're like, if I gotta choose, I'm gonna make more white women come in here, right? So you have this process that we know is much, much more beneficial for white women, right? And the people of color, are like, hey, you know, since you know we got this thing here, we gotta bring you along. We just kind of came there, and, and this fallacy that we weren't qualified because I'm seeing the comments. I'm gonna discuss them in a minute. Uh, this fallacy that we weren't qualified to be there is, is total farce, right? We've been new. We've been new. We had the numbers. We had the grades. But when you have a systemic process that says, I don't care if they have the numbers, they have the grades, I still don't want them there, right? Like when you have that, you can't win, right? But thankfully, thankfully we had furtive action to at least try to curtail it. Now, again, I think you have, again, this instance here where if you are a professional, especially if you're a black professional, you're a black professional, you have to be very weary, like, all right, like I see what's going on over here. Right. I see the play like and I need to see what am I going to do to try to help, because now the onus of helping the pipeline becomes even more apparent, even more apparent that, hey, I got to help out even at the beginning. Because if I help out, if because if I don't help out at the beginning, there's not going to be too many people that look like me when I'm trying to retire. When I'm when I'm trying to get up out of here and hang up my stethoscope, there's not going to be a lot of people who look like me if I don't do a better job talking to pre-meds. If I don't do a better job talking to elementary school, middle school, high school, say, hey, you should like science. If I don't do a better job like at the beginning, right, to make it so that they have all of these hurdles that they because there's going to be some hurdles that they have to jump over. It's going to be a problem at the end. Right. Because I, we, we know. Right. The Supreme Court already told you we already know that the system is OK with us not being represented at the end. They're 100 percent OK with that. So what we have to do is say, hey, you know, what? I definitely got to I definitely got to put much more onus, much more focus in the beginning. And I've, I've always been a big and I think that's just me. Right. I've always been someone who tried to focus on my pre-meds. My, my medical students, like I always want to focus on there. I write letters all the time, 
letters of recommendation all the time. Uh, DM me, right, if you have any questions or concerns, especially for my pre-meds out here. Because I know that we need all the help we can get, right? Because I know it is not too many of us who can can write a letter, more importantly, a good letter. Because again, I, as a program director, I probably read, because I was a program director for four years uh, of an internal medicine program, I probably read three, about 400, about 32 to 3,600 letters of recommendation. Because I'm factoring, I read about 400 applications a year. Usually they include about three letters of recommendation. And yeah, so about, yeah, that many letters of recommendation, like just in that span of time. So I know what are good and what are, uh -uh, right? Like it just is. So not only do we have to be there to be able to write a good one, uh, but and you'd be surprised because there's there's a lot of people who have no problem writing you terrible letters, no problem writing you terrible letters, right? Like it just is what it is. Um, so be able to write good ones, right? So we have to be much more proactive in reaching out, reaching back, and when because a lot of us will get through the door, like we'll get through the door, and we kind of close it behind us. We say, hey, you know what? I'm already here. Like I did the hard work. Nothing for me to do. Right. But we got to get through the door, keep our foot through the door, let everyone get in through the club. Like, if, especially if you got to go to the back, let everybody get in the club. Then we say, OK, all right, there's enough of us. All right. Now, now I don't need to hold the door open anymore. Like, like that's what it is. Like, you just, it just has to be done for sure. Right. So let's let's get to some comments. Right. Let's get let's get to some comments, because I think it's going to be because uh, I, I saw some I saw some funny ones I wanted to touch on uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, Jamie says, yeah, this decision broke my heart. Yeah, no, no, it definitely did. Because, and again, because we know that this, especially, especially again, for those who don't know the origin of it, right? This origin of, you know, going after affirmative action was based, I forget the name of this uh, conservative group, right? But like their goal was, again, to try to, you know, they're same ones who go went after Roe versus Wade, um, these same people, right? Same ilk. Um, their goal was like, oh, we need to, we need to we need to we need to make an example. Right. So they get this uh, random student who I'm assuming couldn't get accepted to Harvard and Columbia, and all those other schools. Right. Because what the legacy admissions took all of their spots. Right. And for those who don't know. Right. Especially again, like I said, because I've been a part of the admission process, what typically happens in in the setting of admissions. Right. Let's say you're you're Asian. Let's say you're white. Let's say you're black. Let's say you're Hispanic. They put you in a the group. They say, hey, you know what? Let me see how Barry has done in comparison to all of the black men that is applying, right? Let me see. All right, let me see where he sits there, right? They don't say, let me see how Barry has done in comparison to the white guy, in comparison to the Hispanic guy, in comparison to the Asian guy. They say, no, no, no. Let me see how he's done in comparison to the black guy. And then they kind of do their numbers. But for those who may know, like the person who did not get accepted to Harvard and all those other schools, I'm pretty sure they did the same exact thing to him and say, hey, let me see what this guy has done in comparison to those in his group. And I'm guarantee he did not do better than those in his group because he didn't get accepted. Right. Or or he did not know the people that those in his group happen to know. Right. Like in legacy admissions. And I saw a lot of people mention it. And nepotism is the big one, right? Legacy admissions, nepotism are so rampant and so it's so commonplace that people just recognize that, like, yeah, like I know the only reason why you're here is because your family member owns this building. Like the your last name of this building is because of you, right? I know that's what because you're not you're not that smart. How many of us, especially those who went in education, like have sat in class and be like, how does this person get here? Like, mind you. I did this when I was an undergrad. I was doing this when I was in uh, when I got into medical school. That first that first semester, and I was I would look around the room. And I'm like, hmm, some of these, some of these, some of these folks is not that bright. But and you know what they used to say? You know what they say about you know the the doctor with the uh, the lowest the medical student uh, with the worst grade in the class? You know what they call him or her? doctor right like that was that was a common saying so you had levels even when we talk about medical school law school like there's levels right and those in the class recognize like oh i see where you at yeah you're up there or you're down there right so that's a very common thing right this is not 
you know, groundbreaking. So you have this group who says, hey, you know what, we're going to go and we're going to fight this to the top. And of course, of course, right, you know, we talk about how election, uh, I say uh, elections matter. Um, when people were saying this is 2016 elections, right, because this is this is all 2016 election issues where people were saying, oh, Trump, Hillary, same thing, same person, doesn't matter, no difference. It won't affect you locally. This is what this is what people who were discouraging people to vote would say, like, oh, you know, voting for Hillary is like voting for Trump. Like people are actually saying this. People are actually saying that, which is wow, right? Like I can't wait today. I can't wait today. Read it in the history books, and the the kids in the future are gonna be like, I cannot believe someone voted for a celebrity TV star, right? That's what that's what people are gonna say. Right. When they read the history books like now, even well, I don't know the way they're trying to I'm in Florida, you know, Florida is trying to get rid of all kinds of books. But like that is the reality that's at hand here. Right. 2016 elections. Right. We had, you know, we had Trump. Right. Mr. Impeached twice, currently indicted. Got, you know, he loaded up the Supreme Court. Right. Him and his Congress folks helped load up Supreme Court. So now in 2023, we're dealing with this effects, right? Roe versus Wade. That's a 2016 issue, right? Affirmative uh, action, 2016 issue. Right? Again, like I said, y'all don't come here for uh, the po- politics, right? But I feel like whatever whatever field you're in, you should be at least familiar with how politics might affect your field, right? So that's why I can, you know, point clear as day exactly how affirmative action is going to affect healthcare because I've been keeping an eye on this for a little minute. Um, yeah, so let's see, <laughs> let me see here, right. uh, let's see, make sure we can see we got some questions here, oh, so, someone says, uh, oh, this, oh, I, I have, uh, Miguel says, good, uh, no more race-based discrimination, again, this is, this, again, this is, this is more conservative, uh, talking points, you have, Mike, like if uh, I just want y'all to when y'all get some time, Google what the percentage is of uh, black people in Columbia, Penn, Harvard, Yale, like just Google what the percentage is of. Right. So when you hear people make it seem like affirmative action was blocking people from getting into. No, 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 no. It was it was again, it was not affirmative action. It was all of these subpar legacy folks uh, taking up y'all good spots. Let me see. Uh, yes, we need more people who are from the community to translate need, needs. Yeah, and this I think that kind of goes back into what we kind of discussed when we said that if you have less of us, right, whoever the us is for your community, if you have less of you guys representing yourselves in the community, guess what? You're going to have a difficult time trying to talk to your community. You have a difficult time trying to relate to your community, right, especially in regards to their health care needs. Uh, yep, legacy problems, uh, legacy admissions are the real problem to college admissions, right? And that's the thing, right? You, we all know the reason why they didn't mention, and I, I mean, I'll highlight this, uh, put this comment a little bit. We all know the reason why they didn't like even touch legacy admissions because there's a lot of money behind legacy admissions. There's a lot of money behind legacy admissions. So you start talking about like, oh yeah, we should also go after legacy admissions. Like let's let's let it be about the grades and not about the legacy. Oh, you're gonna have a lot of people who have a lot of money who are gonna have a lot of problems uh, with certain congressmen, right? And people are gonna you know you know politics you know uh, and money kind of grease the wheel. So yeah, legacy problems is definitely an issue for sure. Let's see. Yeah, def- definitely says the the small colleges, and it, this is kind of in reference to. Who's going to be affected, right? Because obviously they mentioned Harvard, they mentioned UNC. These are like, you know, pinnacle colleges, pinnacle uh, institutions. Uh, but when we talk about how this is going to affect the smaller programs, the smaller schools, um, it's going to be detrimental, right? But again, you, you're going to have, and, and for those who those who try to apply to a college, it's I don't want to say it's not difficult, right? Because <laughs> certain colleges are, right? Because again, just just a number game, right? But if you want to go to college, you can get into a college. Now, could I get into Harvard? No, right? Because I one, uh, I know I don't have the grades to be getting to Harvard, but more importantly, I know I didn't have the people in my back pocket to get me to Harvard, right? So there are just certain there are certain there there are certain levels, right? And we know, right, that those who 
like want to get to that level here, you know, they kick and scream when they think that they deserve to be at a Harvard. They deserve to be at Yale. Like uh, I think last, it wasn't last month, I think a month or so ago, we, we talked about that medical student um, or no, that pre-med student. No, no, uh, was it pre-med? Yeah, pre-med student, like who applied to all of those Texas schools and was getting rejected left and right. Um, this and this was kind of the same affirmative action play. Like, oh, they're not accepting me because I'm a white man. No, they're not accepting you because you don't got the grades and you don't know the people you should know to get into that school. <laughs> like that, that's that's how it always is. Everything. Uh, someone says they're discriminating against Asian because they're too smart. No, no, that's definitely not the case here, right? What what what? <laughs> let's let's point this out again. There is no right. But again, this is the this is the this this is the the rhetoric right that's been put out there right that. Affirmative action specifically is discriminatory against the Asian community. And because of affirmative action, more of the Asian community can get into schools. Again, I implore everyone when you're done watching this to Google the same schools, right? Harvard, Yale, Penn, Columbia, right? And Google what their Asian population is in those schools versus what the black population is in those schools, right? Just, you know, right? Like, because a quick Google will show you like, oh, okay. Clearly, if one group like is going to be upset at the percentages, it ain't going to be the Asian community, right? It's not, right? But again, what typically happens because of those schools, right? The, the, the upper echelon, quote unquote, schools, except the best of the best in terms of grades. If you don't know who you're supposed to know and you don't have those grades that are out the because again, they they see high board scores all day every day. So you so imagine if they see everyone with high GPA, everyone has high board scores like SATs, ACTs. You not impressing them just because you got high numbers, right? All of our applications look like this, except the legacy ones. Right? And again, and then, let me let me not rag on legacy. I'm not saying those who are legacy can't also be a part of the high uh, test score, high board group. I'm just saying those who are legacy don't have to be. That's all I'm saying. So I, I don't want people to run here and say, oh, I'm a legacy and I got, you know, start DM me, test scores, everything. I'm not saying that those legacy folks aren't a part of the high uh, academic achieving folks. I'm just saying that those in the legacy, um, it's, it's a lot easier for you to do it, right? Like that's usually not uh, the name of the game. Let's see here. Someone says the true problem is diversity shouldn't be a factor if one race can't make the cut. Oh, well. Right. And again, this is, you know, this is a user, someone's telephone number. Right. Um, who says that we shouldn't be using diversity as a factor. Right. Again, these are people who are saying that I'm OK with the systemic racism. I'm 100 percent OK with the systemic racism that made it so that we even have to even talk about diversity. Right. Y'all are the reason, right? I don't say y'all, right? When I say y'all, y'all know who I'm talking about. Y'all are the reason why we even have to even talk about diversity. Y'all are the reason why we have to have diversity, you know, and equity groups and uh, we have to have a slip. Like y'all are the reason why, because systemically y'all oppressed us, kept us out for so long that now y'all just look crazy when your boardroom looks like, you know, <clears throat> oh, whatever. It's like, you gotta work. So what I'm saying, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, the admission folks, right? Like, again, the legacy folks, again, I'm not saying that you guys aren't a part of scholastic crowd. I'm just saying that it's easy, right? And I'm saying that those who are okay with the systemic racism, right, and the, the decades, the centuries of systemic racism that y'all did, y'all are the reason why we have to talk about diversity now. No, trust me, we don't want to have to talk about diversity. We don't want to have to talk about it. We just know that the only reason we have to talk about it, right, is because systemically y'all kept us out. And y'all look so crazy of keeping us out. Boom, here we are. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, we got the we got the reverse discrimination card. Again, you remember you can't have reverse discrimination if we're not the ones in power. Right. So even these inroads and fighting that we do, uh, we're still not we're still not the majority nowhere uh, in power to make any decisions that would actually be detrimental uh, to the dominant group, which is white men, right? We're, we're not in that type of power. Uh, well, I think the fear, right? The fear is, hey, you know what? 
if we let another group get into the power structure or at the level of power that we are, they may want to discriminate against us because when we were in that position, like we did it to them, right? That's always that other side's fear that like if another group gets in that position, that they'll be discriminatory against them because that's what they did when they were in a position. Uh, but I can assure you, most people aren't like y'all. And again, I keep saying y'all, but y'all know what time it is. <laughs> and someone says I was applying this cycle and it really damn for move. Yeah, no, this and again, this and this is and this is really how it starts is that you have those who um, are going to be great fits to be in someone's school. They're going to be gun shy. They're going to be like, oh, you know what? I don't know if I'm applying to this school right here. I'm going to apply where like I'll do better in, right? Like, or I'll have a better chance in, right? Because they, in their eyes, they think, oh, I won't have a better chance because when I look at the admissions and I look at the percentages, it's not a lot of us in those schools anyway, <laughs> right? It's not, and, and mind you, I was, I went to Nova Southeastern, right? Shout out to Nova Southeastern. We had a class of like 200, it was 200. Yeah, two, yeah, 205, 205. And as far as black students were concerned, we had the most number of black students like for a while. And I think we had, we had 11, we had 11. And our 11 like would make ways. People were like, oh my God, like, it's a lot of y'all in this class. Like that's, that is how, and, and again, obviously I went to Nova, Nova's a private school, you know, those numbers dwindle. Um, and typically, especially uh, when we think about medical schools, you know, we go to where we typically are going to be at, right? So Duke, North Carolina, usually was deep. Morehouse, of course. Mary, of course. Xavier, of course. Deep, 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 deep. Um, but then we, but again, that's like, that's like less than 10, that's like less than seven schools, right? Like we have other ones, we got to go somewhere, right? So when we start going, it's very common for us to be in a spot where, um, our percentage of students, black students, um, especially for medical school, was like less than ten percent. Very common for us. Didn't even, uh, didn't even shock us. Um, oh, someone says if you're qualified, you are taken in. No, that's not true, right? And and the reason why we know it's not true, right, is because of the fact that the lawsuit, right, was brought on by someone who thought he was qualified. So what you're saying, right, is that this person, right, who again, who's fought case went all the way up to the Supreme Court, wasn't actually qualified. So if they weren't actually qualified, what are they fighting for? Right? See, this This is this is how you can't have it both ways. If you are saying, oh, if you're qualified, you get in. Well, then that's the case. When you don't get in, you shouldn't be crying. You shouldn't be crying. You shouldn't be having no tears. Right? You should be like, oh, you know what? You know what? I wasn't qualified. But no, what typically happens, those who are used to getting their way are those who think that they deserve a spot when they don't get in they start crying oh my god affirmative action oh my god the front of action took my spot and again like i said when they say affirmative action they always think about someone like me and not someone who is typically likely white and likely female right like they never think about that caricature of a person probably taking their spot it's always someone who looks like me who possibly took their spot <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. Oh, we have another people work hard, get good grades. It's no problem. Nah, that's not true. Um, and it's and it's so not true um, that you don't even. It's it's like comical, right? And again, like I said, we already talked about systemic racism. We already talked about how when we looked at grades, like when we looked at our test scores, uh, we definitely deserve to be in those spots here. Uh, but systemic racism said, "No, nah, we don't want you here." Right. Go to these other schools. Right. So they would force us away from the schools that our test scores and our test grades said we belong. Right. We belong there. But because, you know, systemic issues, a.k.a. racism, uh, which, again, a lot of people don't uh, a lot of people, especially with this decision here, won't accept. Right. They will not accept uh, the reason why affirmative action even had to come into play. Right? Like That's not something that they're even they won't even grasp it. Right. Very weird to me. <laughs> Yeah, this code, this, I mean, this is, shout, shout out to uh, one, two, three columns. Uh, this country has never been based on merit, right? That's, and that's, that's the truth, right? And we, right, black folks, right? We understand that. 
we understand, right? You know the old adage of like, all right, you got to do more. You got to do more. You got to do 10% more. Like we understand that like just having the grades, just having the test scores is not enough. Like we have to go above and beyond, right? To be in the spot, right? So if we can recognize that, hey, yeah, just because you got merit, right? This doesn't mean, just because you got the test scores doesn't mean you should be in a school. Why is this person here who didn't get accepted to Harvard or UNC or wherever he didn't get accepted to, right? Fighting it all into the Supreme Court, right? Because he's in uh, the La La Land and uh, wants to blame affirmative action for taking the one spot um, that he couldn't get. And mind you, the person who fought this case all over the Supreme Court, he was, it's not like he was not accepted to places, right? It's not like he was not accepted to other places, it's just the fact that they're like, yeah, you can't come to here. And the fact that he couldn't get accepted to here, boom, here we go. <laughs> uh, yep, the thing is, the two people have similar test scores. Uh, they will choose the white person, right? And you, the reason why they choose the white person is because typically the person who's doing the choice is likely white, right? And they're typically likely male, right? So And again, and again so we understand, like I talked about the cultural competency, like being around like-minded, being around your community. If the t people who are typically making the decisions are typically white, typically male, who do you think they're likely going to grab? White, male, right? So it's not out of the ordinary. It's not shocking to us, right? When we see the majority white men, right? Are in these schools, right? It just is what it is, right? But it, it, it's only shocking to other groups uh, when they see that that action occur. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, uh, this. Oh, so this is uh, this is a person here who doesn't know politics, and this is what a Democratic president and Senate. You still lose the front of action, right? So this is, and this is why I talk about. Uh, a lot of people aren't really educated in politics, right? This is why I mentioned that. Yeah, this case right here was decided in the 2016 election, seven years ago, right? So that election seven years ago is what got this case on. Is what got Roe versus Wade um, out of here, right? 2016. Right, but those who don't know say something like, "Oh, it's Biden's fault." <laughs> I guess someone says, "How about you use MCAT scores?" Right. So again, uh, this is this is one of those ones where again, again, a lot of people, right? A lot of the bootstrap these are these are the bootstrappers, right? A lot of the bootstrappers can't even process that there are systemic processes in place to make it so that it's a much more difficult time for me to take the MCAT than someone who does not come from my community, right? Think about that, right? There are systemic reasons, systemic processes in place that make it much more difficult for me to take the MCAT than someone else, right? Whether we talk about, you know, you know, did I did I get the proper education? Was was I living in the right zip code, right, to be able to go to the right schools, to have the right teachers, to have the the foundation from a scientific standpoint, so that when it is time to take an MCAT, when I'm an undergrad, I'm fully prepared for it, right? Did my parents have the ability, right, to provide for me and me not have to stress and work during undergrad? Right. Let's think about this. Right. Let's just I'll just I'll even cut it short to just undergrad. Like, did I have to work during undergrad or was I able to just live life during undergrad, go to school, take my test scores and 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 focus on the test? Right. Or did I also have to work 30 plus hours to pay the bills uh, that I was uh, that I had during undergrad because my parents back home right, couldn't afford to just pay for me. And sometimes I may have to send some money back to the crib. Right. These are all real life decisions that typically will affect one community a lot more than affects another community. Right. Again, I'll let you put two and two together. Right. So when they say, oh, just use the test scores. Well, like I don't have the same. Right. And I keep saying I. But again, just let's just think about our community. Right. I may not have the same circumstances that make it so that I can just go ahead and take the test score, right? Maybe I can't even afford the test prep. Maybe I have to, um, you know, borrow my um, friend's notes and maybe we have to go in it together and share. Like there are so many different factors there that if you are on the other side, right? If you are on the admission side and the only thing you look at is the test score and you don't look at nothing else. You don't look at their personal statement. You don't read a personal statement. You don't see, all right, where is this person coming from? Well, like if you don't see these things here, you're already lost. All right. But again, like I said, it's just one of those things where 
it becomes much more of a nuanced conversation and discussion uh, that has to occur. But a lot of people are not really, they're not, I don't, I don't say not ready for it, right? Maybe they, they just haven't been challenged enough to like ask these type of questions, right? So again, like I said, you say, oh, what about the MCAT scores? Well, there's a lot of different things, a lot of different things that lead up to you have to take in that MCAT, right? That other communities don't typically may not have to face and deal with in that process. I think I appreciate you. Shout out to my RNs, right? And again, obviously I talked about doctors, right? But like healthcare uh, professionals just in general, right? There's just going to be less of us everywhere, right? Less of us everywhere. RNs, PT, OT, speech, nursing, like there's going to be less of us everywhere because that bottleneck, because of that bottleneck effect, because we have less coming in the pipe, right? There's going to be less at the end, right? Because just because you get into undergrad doesn't mean you finish undergrad, right? Just because you get into medical school doesn't mean you finish medical school. Just because you get into residency doesn't mean you finish residency. There's so like the what happens in the middle, right? And and that's like for again, for me, right, to to finish res finish medical school and finish residency, I had to take uh three board exams plus a national board, three national board exams. Just to say, hey, yes, I'm a DO, right? And then a national board exam after my residency, right? That's four. That's four a national exam I had to take. What if I'm a bad test taker? What if I have anxiety or stress as a test taker? What if I've always had anxiety or stress because when I was little, right, to take tests, you know, you know, the AC was bad, the school was like so many different factors that don't even come into play for a lot of people that when they say like, oh, just focus on the test scores, right? It's disingenuous. And we, and you may not know, right? There people on this side, people on the academic side, because like I said, I'm in academia. People on the academic side will tell you that an A from this school is different than an A from that school. That's a whole different conversation that we can go into, right? That an, they, they look at an A from school A is not as, eh. But an A from that school over there, school B, they're like, woof, you got an A over there? We like that. So now when, like, let's say I have the numbers. Let's say I have a 4.0 plus, 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 but it's from school A. And the person on the other side is like, oh, but they went to that school and that school is not that tough of a school. So we're not going to really respect that school here. But that per another person goes to school B, same numbers, but guess what? Because they went to school B, Oh, you know what? They went to school B and got these numbers. You know what? Let's move them up the ranks, right? Again, this is a whole... So again, the people who be like, oh, MCAT scores, grades, like, like I again, I, I, I wish it was that easy. I wish it was that easy. But because I know, because I know it's not um, a decision like this is so... There's just there's the reason why a decision like this is so harmful. Like I said, I posted that thing on my IG story. People everywhere, like, oh, yeah. And the people who I expected to respond, responded, right? Because we already know. Because we already know, and it was most of my professionals, most of my professionals in higher level education, because we know the game that gets played and the game that we had to play to get to where we had to go to, right? So, yeah, just definitely, yeah, man, the, the numbers mean nothing. Trust me. <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, so let me let me answer Justin's question. Bad grades are systemic processes. Yes, the answer is yes. Um, we can go long, but the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think we just answered uh, Scott uh, uh, Scott Zayarita's question when he said just use grades and MCAT. Hopefully, I answered that question as well of why. Nah, we we just can't use that. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, oh, I like that. I love this question here, right? Uh, forget college, just a debt. Learn to take trades, network, and lore. Yeah, then I mean, especially, especially because we were, we we were sold this dream that, right? Yeah, I say dream, right? We, yeah, we were sold this dream that, yeah, yeah, just go to college and you're good. And what a lot of people recognize, like, oh, me just going to college ain't really guaranteeing me being good. Like they, you know, it wasn't. It ain't, it ain't really all cracked up as V, right? So like the trades aspect of it and more importantly, that network, network, right? When we say, when we talk about nepotism, when we talk about legacy and missions, like we're saying, we're saying the buzzword that you hear out now, like, oh, let's go to brunch and network. 
Let's go to a breakfast and lunch work, a network. Let's go to the golf course and network, right? Like networking will get a person who should not be at Harvard in Harvard. Networking will get a person who shouldn't be in someone's medical school right there the first day of class. And they're looking around. I'm looking at them like, well, how'd you get here? Oh, that's who you knew? Like networking is key. It's something that is not taught. And it's something that gets overlooked. But again, it's one of those things where, again, when we when we trace it back, it's easy to network when your family members are a part of the network. When your friends, right, or your friends or your family members are part of the network. When you go and with a lot of our communities where a lot of us are the first of, right, we don't got nobody to network with. We don't got nobody to network with. So if it if it ain't if it ain't for people who are, you know, over, right, you know, over the hill, who already went through the door. If, if it ain't for them coming back and say, oh, let me go network this. I see, I see this person there, they're in pre-med, they want to do it. Let me, come over here, let me, let me get you. If we don't do that, right, it's a problem, right? Like, because we're going to be in trouble, right? So yeah, networking, I think is uh, so key. So key, so key. <laughs> Let's see here. Why is it going to, yeah, so asking why skin color application? Oh, they know why they put skin color in the application. Uh, we know. Uh, uh, George Constanza. Uh, oh, let's uh, let's see here. Uh, like Obama said, um, African American uh, affirmative action should be economic. Uh, should not be economic base, if anything at all. Um, Scotus got it right. Uh, yeah, again, like I said, it it it'd be great, right? It'd be great if the economics was the only thing that played a factor, right? But we know that's not the case. We know that economics ties in to where this person lives, uh, whether this person had to work during school, whether their parents had to work, uh, whether their parents had to send money, what type of schools they went to, uh, what type of teaching, uh, you know, Kaplan, Princeton, whatever stuff that they got, water. We know that. So we, we know that isn't just like, oh, just, you know, just focus on economics. Um, so SES focus because there's already been studies that show that if I factor in those who come from the same communities, um, let's say they're not impoverished, right? They got money, middle class, boom, 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 and then they still they still compare them to other groups, right? For some reason, there's still a disparity, right? So that would only make sense that if we like standardize for our socioeconomic status and we were had equal percentages there, but it's not. Right. And the reason why it's not is because systemically, and again, I know y'all hate to hear this, systemically there are forces that have been at play, will be at play, continue to be at play that make it difficult for us to get to where we need to get to. <laughs> uh, let's see. Someone asked my M oh, I don't even someone asked what my MCAT score was. I don't even remember. I don't even remember. What was my MCAT score? Oh, I had to look it up. <laughs> I had to look at it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Uh, someone said racism finally removed. No, no, no. It's not It's not there. It's there. And like I said, one of the, one of the things I, I will say again, a lot of these schools, the Harvards, the West, they were already, again, since 2016, they were already preparing for decisions like this already. So they were, they were, they were already looking to see, all right, how do I move this goalpost here to increase our diversity? Because what? Because we're not dumb and we recognize how important diversity is to the mission of our school, right? Like, so, like, this decision, again, is not going to affect the Harvards of the world. Harvard is going to, they're going to move, like, going to move, especially because this decision says nothing about legacy. Because it says nothing. Now, if you would have said, hey, you know what? We're striking down legacy admissions. Oh, boy. Oh, it would be, whew. It'd be some problems. It'd be some problems. It'd be some trouble. But because it's not doing that, uh, they're okay. Let's see here. Uh, oh, some, oh, someone asked my opinion on socio socioeconomic based admission. Um, I think it definitely plays a factor, right? Especially when we talk about like financial aid, right? Because again, if I'm a lower economic, lower SES, uh, meaning that I have lower means, right? And like I'm gonna need more assistance, right? To to pay for y'all schooling, right? Because some of these schools are, like I said, I went to Nova. Nova's crazy expensive, right? So like I'm gonna need more assistance, right? So please factor that in if you're looking. Um, again, most of these most of these colleges, if if there were incentives, right? If there were incentives uh, to get applicants from more lower SES 
um, you know, populations, they would do it as well too, right? It's just um, financially, there's no incentives for them to do it. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see here. Want to make sure we know. Yeah, no, they are not uh, rejecting legacy. Trust me, if they were rejecting legacy, uh, it, it'd be a lot more movement. Uh, hope she not be given. <laughs> Fred of action is racism in reality. Right, too funny. Right. But again, like I said, again, and the reason why I like these highlights, I don't want to highlight these comments because, you know, to give them shine, but I want people to recognize that there are a lot of people who think like this. Like the Jace Fowler, there are a lot of people who think that affirmative action is racist, right? Now, and, my, and again, they say racism. And even though if I tell you that white women benefited the most of affirmative action, they still equate affirmative action with racism. Like think of, like, again, like try to make that correlation. I say the biggest group who benefit off affirmative action is white women. You say affirmative action is racist. What what are we talking about here? We're having two different conversations, right? And once you recognize that, once you recognize like, oh, this group much more beneficial, much benefited way more than us of affirmative action. Like, why did it, like, then you know, like, oh, I see what the game plan is here. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. And then, oh, you know, it's actually good. This is a good point right here, right? So uh, someone says, you know, they need to give more money to HBCUs because they're only willing to do the work of supporting POC. So obviously, especially when we think about foundationally, why we, like, again, think about this. Why do we have to have HBCUs? Why was it so important for us to even establish HBCUs, right? Like, if you just, if you just, again, one of my attendings always taught me, if you ask the question why, you'll get a lot of answers. Right. So if you start asking yourself, man, why did he even have to even establish HBCUs? Right. When you see people in 2023 talking about some, there's no systemic racism. Right. Like that's that's when you're like, OK, fam, then why do we have HBCUs? Like if there's no systemic racism, why did we have to say, you know what? We need to have dedicated colleges to teach people of color. Right. Especially black folks. Right. We need to have dedicated colleges to uh, to teach black people. Right. You don't do that unless there are systemic forces saying I can't go to the other ones. Like unless there's systemic forces saying you can't come over here, but we'll let you go over there. Right. And and one thing, the first of all, shout out to HBCUs. But we I don't want people to look at HBCUs as the um, backup. Right. A lot of these HBCUs, again, I went to Florida State, FAMU was right down the street. A lot of these HBCUs are right there and above in a lot of different programs, right? So we should not be looking at HBCUs like they're just a backup, like, uh, I'll just settle for the HBCU. Nah, nah, fam, because you're going to get rejected from there too. <laughs> like, like, don't, don't be shocked when you also get rejected from there as well too. So I don't want us to look at that. And yes, obviously we should support you should support, support, support. I definitely should support them because especially with the way they try to play us. But I don't want us to look at it like there's some subpar um, level of education that we're like, all right, like, all right, I'll just go to HP. Like, no, that should not be the case here. Now, should they should they give more money, more support? 100%. Um, but we should look at it like, oh, well, now that, you know, affirmative action is out, let's start going to the HBCUs. Like, I don't want us to, I don't want us to um, go that there. Someone asked the only reason you made it because I'm black. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Someone said this is great news for Asian students. No, it's not. <laughs> and again, the reason why I say no, it's not, because again, uh, like it was never, it was never discriminatory against Asian students. So they're not gonna see a bump in their admissions because uh there's no quote unquote affirmative action. Like that's not gonna happen, right? Because like, if they ain't legacy, it ain't no matter. And if they if they have great grades and great um, test scores, guess what? They're just going to pair uh, to all of the other Asians with great grades and test scores and then like, like hey, y'all fight it out over there. Let's see. All right. Someone, oh, <laughs> so let's, let's, let's respond to um, Amanda or Ricky. We got a couple more, we're going to respond to a couple more things that we're going to get about here. Uh, am I angry black man or do I agree with the Supreme Court? I hope 
I gave no impression that I agree with the Supreme Court. Right. I hope I don't. And and the angry black man. Um, yes, I'm angry. Right. And you should be angry too, uh, Amanda, Ricky. Like you should be angry too uh, that this uh, BS of a like, oh, a discriminatory practice uh, that is affirmative action, like made it to the Supreme Court. You should be angry that they're wasting that tax dollars uh, with this BS message. Right. That's what you should be angry with. Um, but yeah, no, no, no. I definitely 100% do not uh, agree with uh, the Supreme Court. Um, and yes, I am angry as well. And that ain't negative to me. Like, it's never been a negative uh, uh, from my standpoint <laughs> to be angry. I know that's a, I know that's a trope that they like to do to our black women um, and call them angry and try to diminish their message. Um, but it, it don't work over here uh, because we be have, we be having a lot of, uh, We've been having a lot of reasons uh, to be angry. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Let's see here. So, oh, this, oh, this is a good question. This, we'll, ask, we'll get this question in before we get out of here. Um, who does this hurt or help, right? So, um, so legacy kids, whew, I mean, because if you have... If you had a sliver of onus that hey, hey, we definitely need to look at this specific population and make sure we get some spots here, guess what? They're just gonna fill it with more legacy folks. They're like, hey, all right, you know what? Legacy folks, like here you go. Right. And in that same ilk, the people who are likely gonna be hurt are those who don't have the network, who aren't legacy, um, who don't again, because mind you, test scores and grades are coming. Like that's gonna happen. Like you don't even like, and that's why I say, especially for the Harvards of the world, the like, <laughs> if you're applying over there, like, you got the numbers, right? So it's really just a matter of do you have the numbers plus the extracurricular stuff, right? So it's those who don't have the extracurricular stuff or who don't get the bump for the extracurricular stuff who are really going to be um, affected uh, by this decision. And, and again, because it, it starts at the top, that's why I'm, I'm mentioning it from a healthcare perspective, right? I'm telling you that because we're going to have less and less people applying, we're going to have less and less people getting accepted, which means we have less and less people graduating uh, from these undergraduate institutions um, and then going to post-professional, um, you know, law school, medical school, engineering, all these other boom, 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 like less and less people there, right? Which will eventually affect the communities that they typically serve, right? It's usually the case, not all the time, but it's usually the case. So those are going to be uh, your, your downwind effects of people who get hurt uh, by this decision here. The front loaded decision is yes, you're going to have less numbers there. Um, again, the same, like Harvard's never going to not fill or whatever. I don't know what the number is. They're never going to not fill. Plenty of people apply. Plenty of people are still going to get rejected. Uh, plenty of people are still going to be upset, right? And what's really going to be is those who now get, we're going to get super upset and not get accepted. And they're, 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 they're going to have no clue why. Like, what do you mean? I have all the grades. I have all this. What do you mean I can't get in? Nope. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not Harvard quality, right? You're going to see that people, you're going to see that happen a lot. Oh, let's see here. All right, so I gotta go. I gotta go take care of some some sick patients uh, and do my call. But I appreciate everyone joining the live. Uh, it, was, it was pretty hype today. I uh, appreciate everybody joining. Um, again, we just want y'all to be blessed, right? And just, just understand, like with you know, decision right here. It's it's again. I just call, I'm gonna call on my colleagues, call on my um, you know my professionals that are like hey, like we gotta do more. Right, because you know, Supreme Court doing what the Supreme Court do. Um, so again, if you're a pre-med or, or even medical student, um, you have any questions, concerns, you know, please follow, uh, DM me. I'm always available. Um, it's probably easy. In fact, it's probably easier to um, uh, probably easier. Yeah, because I think cause I think TikTok lets you DM if you don't follow. Um, because I got a lot of people following me, so I wouldn't know. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's it. All right, so y'all be blessed. Y'all have a great evening. See y'all guys tomorrow.